It's September 19, 1991, and two German tourists are enjoying a scenic hike high up in the Ötztal Alps near the Italian-Austrian border when their afternoon takes a very unexpected turn. <gasps> While skirting the edge of a receding glacier, they stumble upon a human body protruding from the ice. Assuming it's a recent mountaineering fatality, the hikers notify the Austrian authorities. Five days later, the body is extracted from the ice with pickaxes and a jackhammer. But when the body lands in the morgue, it becomes clear this death was anything but recent, and it was certainly no accident. Closer inspection of the body, named Ötzi after the mountain range where it was found, suggests that the cause of death was a single arrow to the shoulder, and tissue samples indicate that it's more than 5,000 years old. But even more interesting than Ötzi's age or cause of death is what archaeologists find on his mummified skin. Ötzi is sporting 61 tattoos. The tattoos are clusters of black lines on different parts of the body, including his ankles, wrists, knees, and lower back. And because Ertzi's tattoos are in locations intriguingly close to modern acupuncture points, it's thought that they were a form of physical therapy. In fact, scientists theorize that most ancient tattoos had a practical or medicinal purpose. It's believed that they denoted one's tribal rank, or in the case of Ertzi, were a form of pain management. The discovery of Ötzi the Iceman is one of the greatest archaeological finds of the 20th century. It's given researchers an unprecedented look at life during the Bronze Age. And, although the exact meaning of Ötzi's tattoos remains a mystery, it's one of the earliest examples of body ink. Today, tattoos have evolved into a deeply personal and artistic form of body modification. It's an art form that's become an industry. Americans alone spend about $1.6 billion a year on tattoos. In fact, 46% of Americans are inked, making the U.S. the third most tattooed nation in the world, behind Italy and Sweden. And today, even as tattoo artists continue to amaze with the artistry they express on the human canvas, the field's brightest innovators are still expanding what's possible with new inks, enhanced tools, and limitless imagination. I'm Walter Isaacson, and this is Trailblazers, an original podcast from Dell Technologies. The circus world for tattooists go back to the 1800s. I have letters from Sailor Jerry inviting me to open a tattoo shop with him. I'm known for all kinds of style, color, black and gray, realism. We need a tattoo artist to think about the way that we modify our bodies. I think it's very valuable when the tattoo has a meaning. Evidence of tattooing can be found all over the world 
in the remains of many early indigenous cultures. But until somewhat recently, tattooing was an unknown practice through most of Europe. That started to change in the 18th century, when sailors, fascinated by the body art they encountered on their voyages, brought tattoos home with them on their bodies. Not just sailors, but people, when they travel, they always want to bring back some souvenir from that travel. This is Chuck Eldridge. He's a tattoo artist and founder of the Tattoo Archive. These natives had been tattooing for centuries. I'm sure the sailors were fascinated by that, and so they would get tattooed, and that would be the souvenir that they would bring back. And often, those sailors that were tattooed on those voyages would become tattooers themselves. Sometimes there would be a tattooer aboard ship and they would tattoo the men for money or cigarettes or for their rum ration or whatever. And so other artistically inclined sailors would go, well, you know, I think I could do that. So the next port, they would be looking for some needles and some pigment and they would start tattooing themselves. And once they left the Navy, these artistically inclined and business savvy sailors became professional tattooists in the towns where they had settled. Stylistically, these early tattoos were not realistic or complex. Made with black ink poked into the skin using a single needle, artists created images with simple lines. Most tattoos had a nautical theme, layered with the deeper meaning of a sailor's life. The most common, an anchor, represented stability and was most often adorned with the word mom. Five-pointed nautical stars led sailors home safely, while hearts reminded them of loved ones waiting for their safe return. Other images signified a sailor's time at sea. A swallow represented 5,000 miles of travel, and only sailors who crossed the equator earned the right to sport a turtle. But even with these honest themes, most land-loving Europeans did not embrace this new art form. A tattoo's air of risk attracted those living on the fringe of society, and the practice quickly became associated with criminals and women of ill repute. Religious leaders denounced tattoos, pointing to the Bible to justify their disapproval. Well, you know, the bad reputation for tattooing is, I think, eternal, (laughs) to be truthful. But I think a lot of it goes back to the Bible and Christianity and religion. The Bible, Leviticus, talks about not marking the body. So when people read that, they go, oh, tattoos, tattoo mark. They don't want any tattoo marks on the body. So that, that is kind of a, a stumbling block. It has been a stumbling block for tattooing being accepted. But its bad reputation didn't stop tattooists from searching for a way to improve their trade. And in 1876, Thomas Edison invented a device that helped them to do just that. His machine was a small, handheld tool that helped duplicate important letters. It was the prototype tattoo artists needed to mechanize their craft. But it wasn't until 1891 
when a tattoo artist named Samuel O'Reilly patented an adaptation of Edison's handheld design that it officially went to market. They were called rotary machines because they would have a big wheel that would rotate, and then that would be connected to a kind of device that would transfer that rotary motion into a reciprocating motion so that the needle basically just moved up and downward. And that was in a handheld device that you can manipulate over the skin and, and push pigment in. These early machines not only increased the speed of tattooing, they also gave artists more control over the depth and force of application. This led to the more precise art form that we know today. And in the early 1900s, this machine allowed artists to create new designs that were so intricate and captivating that the general public was willing to line up and pay to look at them. Well, Eamon Diesel was Danish. He was a merchant seaman and was shipwrecked uh, in Canada. He, he tattooed a little bit in Canada. He, brought, he had those skills with him from aboard ship. He was classic tattooing sailor. Dietzel made his way south through eastern Canada, eventually landing in the U.S. Here, his fully tattooed body earned him a job as the Tattooed Man in circus sideshows. After his act, he would set up a small table and, for a fee, tattoo curious audience members. Those designs and those imagery that was popular in Europe just kind of transferred right over to America. And I mean, a lot of those designs, they all they really needed to do was change the flag <laughs> on the on the ship designs and the anchor designs and the eagle designs. You know, they had European flags. They just put an American flag and the design just crossed right over and worked perfect in an American shop. Um, it is ironic that uh, after the, the natives had tattooed in uh, North America for centuries, that it was European immigrants that brought professional tattooing to the States. Dietzel and other sideshow circus acts like him helped push the art of tattooing inland, beyond port cities, into rural communities. But it wasn't until World War II that tattooing made its big push into middle America. It was during this time that a legendary tattoo artist rose to prominence in the U.S. His name was Sailor Jerry. So his tattoos were taking the kind of the traditional idea, but giving them just a little twist, just a little tweak that made them kind of unique. I mean, you, you see Sailor Jerry tattooing and you kind of begin to recognize it. But it was very bold, very graphic, very colorful, strong, is how I think I would describe it best. Born Norman Keith Collins, Sailor Jerry settled in Hawaii in 1930 to set up a tattoo shop after a stint in the Navy. A little over a decade later, Pearl Harbor was attacked. Suddenly, the U.S. was at war and thousands of soldiers were on shore leave in Honolulu. The youth, bravado, and fear of death that Sailor Jerry saw in these American servicemen became a deep thread in his art. His colorful images 
of pinup girls, dice, and dollar signs, juxtaposed with hearts, anchors, and odes to mothers, remain iconic to this day. Ironically, Jerry also became influenced by the culture of the country that bombed Pearl Harbor, Japan. Sailor Jerry studied the Japanese tattoo masters, becoming the first Westerner to fuse American and Asian artistic sensibilities. Through this merger, he created his own art form, beautiful and wildly stylized images that have influenced generations of tattoo artists that came after him. They know me as Shanghai Kate. Shanghai Kate, an apprentice of Sailor Jerry, is known as the godmother of American tattooing. But as a female tattoo artist in 1971, her route to acclaim wasn't easy. Even her invitation to apprentice under Sailor Jerry was less than conventional. In fact, the invitation involved an altercation between two of Sailor Jerry's other proteges. Michael Malone and Ed Hardy got in a fistfight over me in Sailor Jerry's front yard. And I said, I'm not going home with either one of you guys. So we had come from San Diego to do the conference at Sailor Jerry's house. And Jerry said, well, you can stay and work with me. And I said, I'm staying and working with Sailor Jerry. It was a moment that changed the trajectory of Shanghai Kate's life forever. He was an old salt. He had been everywhere. He knew everything. And he defined tattooing from the ground up. And I looked to him as a father more than anything, and a great teacher. And, uh, and I cherish every moment that I ever spent with him. But Sailor Jerry was building his legacy well before he met Kate. In 1961, in reaction to a hepatitis outbreak that prompted New York City to ban tattooing, he became a vocal advocate for enhanced sterilization. The man who wanted to open a tattoo shop in New York City and couldn't because it was banned, he called Jerry and said, we've got to start sterilizing because if they can close New York City, they can close the country. And so he brought sterilization into the industry. And so Sailor Jerry taught me everything about sterilization, which is really how to be absolutely meticulous in your cleanliness, that hospital-style sterilization that you have to adhere to in order not to pass any kind of blood disease. But reducing the spread of blood-borne diseases was not Sailor Jerry's only cause. Famous for his colorful tattoos, he was also on a constant search for an expanded palette of safe tattoo pigments and ink. Well, the first four colors were black, red, yellow, and green. And the red, yellow, and green were laced with mercury. So mercury poisoning was just everywhere in our industry. And I don't know if you've ever seen mercury poisoning under the skin, but it's really horrible. It was a quest that Sailor Jerry and Shanghai Kate tackled together. Pretending to be sign painters, they were able to get pigment samples from companies that wanted nothing to do with the underground art of tattooing. And I wrote to them and said, would you send us samples of your dry pigments in little packages so that uh, we could uh, test them for sunworthiness? 
for our signs. And so we would get these little packages of dried pigment and then we would put them in the skin and we would sit back. And if it reacted, say for a mercury content, they would dig it out. You know, Jerry did it with a flathead screwdriver. He didn't care. And so that's how we got the colors that are non-reactive to the human body with mercury. And perhaps most famously, Sailor Jerry was the first tattoo artist to create purple ink from a blend of these new, safer pigments. And if it wasn't Sailor Jerry changing the industry, it was usually one of his protégés. Ed Hardy eventually moved away from standardized tattoos by doing something revolutionary. He asked clients to suggest images that meant something to them. Today, getting a tattoo that represents who you are may seem commonplace, but it was a radical departure from other tattoo studios in the 1970s. He's always tried to expand the horizon of the imagery that people get, and they should get their dreams. They should get their choices of their inner body on their outer body. And so, yes, he started that. One of Ed's uh, primary slogans was, wear your dreams. And uh, he's done really well. He's an incredible artist. While personalization began to pull tattooing closer to the mainstream, it was the introduction of MTV in 1981 that made the art form a pop culture fixture. Suddenly, tattooed rock stars and celebrities were in people's living rooms. This helped normalize the art form for a curious but still slightly wary audience. Then, in 1997, New York politicians surrendered to public pressure and lifted the ban on tattooing. And as tattoo artists emerged from their underground parlors, Kate was pleased to see that many of them were women. I went to a tattoo convention and every booth was filled with women. And I take some credit for that because, you know, nobody saw women in tattoo booths before I came along. And so I'm very honored. And they cry. They come up to me and cry. They thank me so much and they give me presents. And, you know, they do they do honor me. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful. I think that uh, I did a good job. Suddenly, tattooing's new profile and wider acceptance turned the craft into a viable and lucrative profession for a new generation of artists. And much like the older generation, many new tattooists rely on apprenticeships to learn their craft. But unlike pioneers such as Sailor Jerry and Shanghai Kate, they also have a new way to trade techniques and inspiration. Social media. When MySpace came out years ago, that's when I started really seeing the art around the world and what people are able to accomplish with tattooing. This is Omar Fame Gonzalez, the owner of Fame Tattoos in Miami, Florida. I had a, a certain vision of tattooing at that time. This is over 20 years ago. And I actually got more love for the, for the art of it. 
And I started, you know, looking at different artists, started researching websites of artists and and there was different platforms back then to look at artists from around the world. And that's how I started getting inspired by everybody else's work. Over the last decade, social media has helped tattooing cross-pollinate with other art forms, which has brought new techniques and styles to the industry. And there are a few new techniques as visually gripping as Gonzalez's 3D x-ray tattoo. When you look at the 3D x-ray tattoo, you actually look at one image at first glance, which is multiple colors. You see like part of the outline of the character and then you see like a skeleton. But when you put on your 3D glasses, which is the red and blue lens, you look through one lens, which is the red, and you'll see a certain style, probably the skeleton. Then when you go with the blue one, you see the whole body. People have a ball with it. They, they trip out when they see it. They're like, how is this possible? Is this chemical ink? Is it dangerous? And I'm like, no, it's regular ink. It's the same ink that everybody has. It's the same. It's just certain colors that I've mixed and formulated so it could be the, the right colors that work with each other. Gonzalez's inspiration came from a graffiti artist he found on Instagram named Insane51. The artist created a giant mural of a beautiful woman whose skeleton was faintly visible, as if a picture of her x-ray had been superimposed on her portrait. Gonzalez set out to recreate it as a tattoo. First, he experimented with the design using Photoshop. Then, Gonzalez found a tattoo artist willing to let him practice a small-scale version of his 3D tattoo on their skin. When Gonzalez achieved the look he wanted, he pitched the tattoo to a customer as a large back piece. And he let me, he was like, go ahead, do what you gotta do. So the first session I worked on the lower back and when I was done, I put the glasses on and I'm like, wow, this is gonna work. And luckily it did work and led to a very satisfied customer. He loved it. You know, he loved that back piece. We've won multiple awards with it. Every time we go to a tattoo convention, he walks around without a shirt and everybody's like, you're that guy, you know, you're that guy that has that crazy back piece. So it's cool to go into a tattoo convention and people come up to me and be like, you're that guy that recreated a tattoo. And while artists such as Gonzalez continue to push the limits of what's possible with tattoos, scientists are working to improve on Samuel O'Reilly's electric tattoo machine. My name is uh, David Fernandez Rivas, and I am a professor at the University of Twente and affiliate to the Mechanical Department Engineering at MIT. Fernandez Rivas and his team have created a needle free injection tool they call bubble gun. This device uses a laser to heat liquids until bubbles start to form. Then the expanding bubbles push the liquid through a very small channel at speeds fast enough to penetrate the skin. Research into the bubble gun began in hopes of modernizing medical injections. But Fernandez Rivas soon realized there was another industry that might be interested in needle-free injections. So when we started doing this sort of exploratory research to find out 
who else has been trying to inject small volumes superficially into the skin? And we came to the conclusion that that sounded very similar to uh, tattooing. We uh, first went out to the streets and start talking to uh, tattoo artists, people who have got tattoos themselves. They showed me all the different tools they were using, the type of needles, the procedures. And then I started learning the art and the craftsmanship that this entails. Not only did they learn that traditional tattoo machines waste up to 50% of the ink, but the quick in-and-out motion of the needles can be quite painful and damaging to the skin. So this, from an engineering point of view, I said, if we can make this art safer and less damaging for the skin of the people, then this can be even a market opportunity for the tattoo artists. It's not an idea to replace all type of needles, but they see that there are customers that leave the shop even before the first needle hits their body because they are afraid of needles. So for needle-phobic customers, which is roughly 25% of the population, the bubble gun could be a revolutionary new tool that helps them finally get inked. But that's not the only good news for those thinking about getting a tattoo. And the way we are creating these droplets is very interesting because the volumes are so small and the velocities we are using are in a range that in tests that we have done in the lab and asking experts in pain and also dermatologists, it's almost impossible that we hit the skin in a way that people would feel it. So it's not only the absence of needles that's getting the attention of tattoo artists, it's the bubble gun's potential to be completely pain-free. When you are an artist, for example, a painter, he probably has an array of brushes. And for specific parts of the canvas, he probably uses a, a different type of brush. So I will, uh, my message will be, this is an addition to the toolbox that the two artists have, because it can expand the opportunities or the, the ways where they can bring the art or transfer the wishes of their customers into the skin in a safer and painless manner. And as Fernandez Rivas and his team create waste-free and painless ways to get inked, other researchers are revolutionizing the ink itself. If you think about, you know, pregnancy tests and they change color, we could see tattoos kind of like a very similar way. This is Katia Vega, director of the Interactive Organisms Lab at UC Davis. So there are these biosensors that will be in this case, it's liquid material that will be changing color depending on different levels that you want to analyze of your body. These biosensors are liquids that pick up information about our health. When they come in contact with the interstitial fluid in our skin, they change color accordingly. The interstitial fluids are these fluids that are fascinating, that are already uh, going around our dermis. And that, it already carry a lot of information from ourselves. So then, as we were introduced the biosensors, and we were also understanding more how the skin works and how the interstitial fluid work, we put these things together and 
wow, we could actually make tattoos that are not static in color and they could react with these fluids that we have inside of our skin. Deposited into a patient's skin as a tattoo, biosensors are potentially life-changing science for people such as diabetics who need to monitor their glucose levels. But not just one glucose sensor. We could also incorporate a pH sensor. We could incorporate a sodium sensor. And that for us was very interesting because for continuously monitoring an illness, it's not based in just one analyte. So having a tattoo, like let's say, imagine a flower, like and one petal is one color and the other one is another one and the other one is another one. And each of them is revealing information. So that was what we thought we wanted to share and express with this project. Vega hopes to eventually marry art and medicine by empowering patients to incorporate the specific biosensors they need into body art that resonates with them on a personal level. And perhaps one day, these biosensors will be used to ink people without medical conditions who simply want to express themselves with body art that can change color. I feel like that also gives us that open space to think about the way that we modify our bodies and there are all these different artists and how they could be the ones that will have that expertise and could be incorporating biosensors that could change its color into their own designs. And with this amazing innovation, we come full circle back to Utsi, the Iceman, whose ancient tattoos were etched with the hope of healing his body. So whether a tattoo is an homage to life at sea, an ode to mother, a 3D woman, or a medical necessity transformed into art, tattoos are, and will always be, a deeply personal expression of our individuality. Chuck Eldridge. I find tattooing just fascinating. The whole art of it, you know, the fact that it's on your skin, that you carry it with you. It's uh, uh, something that you can't lose. It uh, speaks about who you are. Um, and it's just a fascinating, it's a fascinating art form that back in the day was kind of an outsider art form. And I kind of like that too. I'm Walter Isaacson, and you've been listening to Trailblazers, an original podcast from Dell Technologies, who believe there's an innovator in all of us. If you'd like to learn more about the guests in today's episode, please visit DellTechnologies.com slash Trailblazers. Thanks for listening.